Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Covered in glory presented by Omaha and Brett. We have officially entered that time of year for a lot of people. That means Christmas lights, hot chocolate and ornaments up on the tree. But in the premier league, that means fixture congestion. That means Spurs fans walking out of the stadium before the game ends. That means Manchester city head faking the entire league and pretending like they're not going to walk this thing and Chelsea entering yet another crisis. It is nice to see that we are, can depend on these things each and every year. We should sing songs about them. Yeah. I mean, uh, this season is going to be, I think extra wild. Um, I think we're, we're still feeling the effects of the world cup last year. Right. And mm. I think with that and the additional, the, the, the crazy congestion that was there, the truncated seasons pretty much ever since COVID. So, I mean, we have a lot of teams that are going to be really topsy-turvy because they're missing players or they're just worn down. Um, so, I mean, I think this is going to be probably about as wild a December as for sure you and I have seen since starting the show, but maybe in the Premier League for a really long time. And this is the first year where we've also had three teams, you know, in the midst of the title race. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about whether it's three teams or four teams, Brett, because normally we do something that's macro at this point, but there's so many games happening right now. Let's just dive right in and let's do an extra game this week because there's so much going on. So let's start at Aston Villa. Are they the fourth team in the title race, Brett? They are third at 32 points versus Arsenal, first at 36 points, Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Arsenal is plus 105, Villa is plus 230, the draw is plus 270, Arsenal minus half a goal is plus 100, Aston Villa is minus 130 on the double chance. And I'm not even kidding. I know you started laughing a little bit, but do we now have to take them seriously? They just dominated Manchester City more than any team in the world has dominated City in recent memory. They held them to two shots. They kept them off the score sheet. Uh, Bailey was absolutely the best player on the pitch in a Manchester City game, which I did not see coming. Uh, Digne, McGinn, they made great contributions versus the chance. And they are now only four points off of the title race. Like, they're playing this old school 4-4-2, and they've got an amazing team and amazing performance. Is this something that is sustainable? Are we looking at Leicester, or are we looking at a mirage that's about to fade away? Uh, I think it's going to be more of the mirage. I mean, Una Hamry, I mean, obviously a lot of managers pulled this tactic, but, you know, basically came out and said, like, you know, we're we're not even competing for the Champions League, is what he said. So much less the title race. Um, but I, I do think the City result was more about how much City suck without Rodri <laughs> than I think it was about anything else. Um, I mean, we, because this is now, because we got to remember, Wolves played them virtually to a draw. Well, to an actual draw, but I mean, in, in terms of the, sh- the way the shots were distributed and created in that match, it was very equal. It wasn't a lucky fluke Wolves draw. And that was one of the big indicators of Roger, Roger missed there. And this one against Aston Villa, like this is they're a legit good team. Like they're a European contender and they caught a city team that isn't very deep. I mean, <laughs> you talk about like the Cole Palmer situation and the, well, we'll talk about this 
um, basically we'll go through, cover the Chelsea United match, but like they've sold players like Cole Palmer. They don't have a ton of depth. Like Rico Lewis is playing a ton. I'm not really sure what Rico Lewis does when he's on the pitch. And we have seen this now again and again, when Rodri misses, especially when KDB's out, they have no one that connects their like four center backs to their attackers. And it's clearly a huge problem. Yeah, we can talk a little bit about City more when we get to their match, but don't don't sleep on Villa, man. Let's give them their flowers a little bit. I know you're saying it's a barrage, but they just held they held City to my uh, six five and XG point six five and only two shots, and I think they deserve a little more respect. On the other side of the pitch, uh, on Arsenal, do we do they have an, a Raya problem, Brett? Like, where is Ramsdale? What happened to our boy? Raya is giving up soft goals. The one he gave up, uh, the third one to Ross the boss, was was poor. That went right under him. He should have claimed the corner for the second goal. That should not have to come down to some heroics on a header in the 97th minute for them to win. Is he going to stick in the lineup? And if he does, can they stay at the top of the table? Well, I think when they when they took in Raya from Brentford, that was more – Arteta is obsessed with passing. Like he it is – Every pretty much every player outside of like the weird Kai Havertz thing that they've brought in is a plus level passer, right? And so part of the idea of building a total football machine is you have a goalkeeper that's essentially like an outfield player. And that is something Ramsdale was not because if you remember the end of last year, Ramsdale had a, had a, a few, they didn't necessarily cost Arsenal like major points like it wasn't the difference between them getting the title and them not but he had some big slip-ups in his distribution last year that cost goals that created crazy chances and this is this is like the new modern soccer right like usually you just stick a shot stopper in the goal and then you're fine you're not asking him to do much more than that but nowadays like that guy has to be an outfield player and so Raya shot stopping was never the reason that he was brought in. Like, it's weird to think like we didn't bring in this goalkeeper to save shots. Um, but that's, that's kind of, that was kind of the gist of it. Right. And it's, and I think what they have is they have the Ederson problem that city has is Ederson is great with the ball at his feet. And I mean, he tries crazy passes, um, but he's not a great shot stopper. I mean, <laughs> the champions league final aside, you love Ederson bets or city city bets, giving up consolation goals in part because he lets savable shots go by him. And I think this is the same trap that Arteta has fallen into is he wanted this 11th outfield player. And he kind of forgot the fact that a goalkeeper's primary job just should be to stop shots. Well, Ederson made some spectacular saves in that game. I mean, uh, I, I know that historically he lets in some softies, but like Raya doesn't even have the highlight plays that Ederson has. And so like, I think that he's even a level below there and does leave this serious vulnerability for him. Like, do you actually think that the Premier League champion is going to have that guy in goal? Do you think they can get to 95 points or whatever it's going to take to win this thing with him leaking up some softies and not doing enough to to uh, create some worldies? And that's just going to matter a ton when it comes to April and May. Uh, I mean, I think I think if it gets to that point, I mean, we have a January window coming up. So, I mean, if there really is severe unhappiness, the goalkeeping situation between both Ramsdale and uh, David Raya, like I think we'll see a move. 
Um, but that I mean, like wild. If, if their if their best goalkeeper is not on the roster right now, and they started with Ramsdale and Raya, I mean, like I don't even know who they're going to move for in order to upgrade on that pairing. They have to. I can't believe how far they are down on Ramsdale. And I guess that's what you're talking about, Arteta's tactics and wanting the the eleventh outfielder play. But that guy is like. I think I don't know if he's world class. If you consider world class like a top ten goalkeeper in the world, but like I'd take him over Sanchez on Chelsea right now. Oh, you're talking about Ramsdale, right? Yeah, Ramsdale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Ramsdale's always been interesting to me. I, I think he's mostly been a league average keeper throughout his career. At least if you look at like post shot xG and, and and goalkeeping, you know statistics are becoming more and more evolved because you're getting into, you know, crosses claimed and kind of threat prevention type of stuff. Um, and Ramsdale was never like fantastic at that stuff. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how the decision making him. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think there's a clear, um, you know, analytics push behind Arsenal's like player acquisition, uh, just given some of their summer signings and the fact that they want to go get Douglas Louise in the window. Um yeah. But but I think you know that's part of the thing with with Ramsdale is I I think he'd probably on the whole be about a, a, about average shot stopper. I think he's had one or two seasons um, in in terms of his Premier League where he's been an above average shot stopper, where he saved more goals than expected. I think it was his first year at Arsenal. Um, and then with David Raya, he had a really good shot stopping season last year with Brentford. At, he was plus five. I just looked it up and, and post shot XG. Basically, he saved five goals above average. Um, and but the thing about the year to year of that stat is it's not stable. Like it is like you will see yeah. you have to always have to look at kind of the post shot XG numbers in the aggregate. So like Nick Pope has had years where he's let in more goals than expected. But on the whole, over the last five or six years, Nick Pope is a great shot stopper. He's clearly prevented goals. Matt Turner, who somehow is now backing up at Nottingham Forest, one of the greatest shot stoppers in the MLS, but he's had negative years. He's had a negative year currently this year. Clearly a great shot stopper. That that will happen. So I think they, they maybe looked at Riot having a really good season and – the in on the but on the whole raya has been negative in that category and yeah. so i do think if there is a push to go to the title you have to look long and hard because you have a guy that may be a great outfield player but is historically let in more goals allowed than expected a league average shot stopper with warts as an outfield player so i think the idea that arsenal's answer isn't on the roster is probably closer to accurate than than maybe they even want to consider. Like that Douglas Luiz money should probably be going towards looking for a goalkeeping upgrade. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it should go to charity, and they shouldn't waste it on Douglas Luiz. Uh, so <laughs> taking it up from taking it from the title race back to this game, it's hard for me to watch Arsenal give up three goals to Luton Town and watch Aston Villa. Uh, dismantle one of the greatest soccer teams that my eyes have ever laid eyes on, and then handicap this game anyway besides something that backs Aston Villa. And to me, uh, Brett, this is, ends up being like the classic, all three outcomes here seem equally likely somewhat in my brain. And if all three outcomes are equally likely, then I'm taking the double chance on Aston Villa that they're only going to make me pay minus 130. 
Uh, yeah, I couldn't get all the way to Aston Villa, man. Uh, Arsenal at a plus number. I mean, uh, as much as I just rained on their parade with the goalkeeping in, uh, issue, um, th- this team is still performing at a pretty high level. Um, I mean, the Luton Town result was was not indicative of the underlying performance for the most part. So they're plus money. I mean, this is this to me is just a matchup between a title contender and a team that's probably going to wind up in the thick of it for Europa Conference League still, which is still great. Still a great achievement by Aston Villa. And you're getting a plus number for one of those two teams. So I couldn't do I couldn't stay away from Arsenal at that plus number. Um, but I, I am giving your Villa boys credit here because my prop bet is going to be Arsenal to win and both to score to juice that money line number up to plus 270 because yeah. I do think Villa is going to test them. This is not going to be a game where Arsenal just controls everything and there aren't threats. And we just talked about the goalkeeping issues. So I'm I'm fairly confident that there's going to be multiple goals in this match. And I'm I think Villa is going to grab at least one of them. Yeah, I would absolutely play your prop bet over your line bet just to get the proper odds because yeah. the idea that they're going to get a clean sheet win at 1-0 or 2-0 versus the fact that they can win 2-1 or 3-1 and you're getting 270 versus you know 105, like that's a no-brainer in my in my head. So I like your prop bet a lot more. Uh, I'm going back to an old standard and watching him play last week. He looks like the Odegaard from October and September, bombing from distance and making runs into the box. So give me Odegaard one one plus shot on target it was killing for me in the fall before his injury. And I think it's about to start killing for me again. It's only minus 125 and I'm happy to lay it. Yeah. And I'm mostly happy at the, the image that popped into my head of, uh, you know, like an 85 year old Toby struggling with dementia in the nursing home, hosting a podcast to himself being like, and I'm going to take Martin Odegaard shot on target with the arsenal money line. Cause it's going to give me plus one Oh five. And then the nurse is like, Toby back to your room. Hey. Put the broomstick down, back to your room. Odegaard might still be playing, so don't put it past me. Uh, all right, move on to the next game, which is Manchester United, 6th at 27 points versus Bournemouth, 15th at 16 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Caesars has United at minus 190, Bournemouth at plus 450, and the draw at plus 340. United minus a goal and a half is plus 135. Bournemouth is minus 180. So, uh, yes, United just beat Chelsea, which I absolutely could not believe. That game was fun to watch for the neutral and torture to watch for me. I cannot believe that Chelsea lost to a team that boldly, boldly went with the strategy of playing no midfield whatsoever and no midfield whatsoever and still were able to, uh, to eke out a victory. What did you think in watching that game from that neutral perspective versus me who was invested in it? I just I can't take my eyes off the fact that you have one of the richest clubs in the world and they're basically reinventing Marijuana Fellaini and Scott McTominay. <laughs> um I mean, I mean this that, that's the only I, I can't I literally can't get anything out of this. This team is being kept afloat by a like sort of number six masquerading as a shadow striker overperforming his expected goal totals. I, I don't know yeah. how I can think of anything else. I mean, obviously the, the Chelsea sort of collapse. I mean, they got absolutely walloped there is concerning because that's now two out of three games. I mean, because the Newcastle one sort of went off the rails even before the Reese James red, red card. Um, yep. But I, I, I just can't think of anything else other than like, this is Manchester United 
Scott McTominay was kept to be like Casemiro's backup as a six. And now he's playing as a shadow striker, overperforming. And that's what's allowing him to win these matches. Yeah, it is wild. I, like, I always I don't talk know about anything else. I always talk about Trent Alexander playing out of position. Uh, you know, he should be in midfield. Is McTominay actually just a striker? Like, forget being a shadow striker. Like, the guy clearly isn't like the world class midfielder, but whenever he laces them up for uh, for Scotland and whenever they let him roam freely, like, he clearly has poacher's instincts. He gets clean looks at the at the goal and he seems to be. Uh, just nat- more naturally born for the position. It's almost how you uh, felt about Alonzo when he was at Chelsea. Like, just like, why are we screwing around? Like, they don't have an answer up top. Hoyland ain't it. Just throw McTominay up there for a game and a cup and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think they're that far away. I mean, Christian Eriksen played as a number nine in ten high's first game. Um, so I think I think when it comes to McTominay, I don't. I don't think there's a problem with moving him into the forward line. I don't know necessarily as an out and out nine, but like you, you, you make that move when you're Bournemouth and you have Philip Billing, uh, when you're West Ham and you have Thomas Sweetcheck, which West Ham was a team. I believe that was looking at McTominay before the season started. Mm-hmm. So like, this is, that is a move. That is a move you make as a mid table club, trying to just find some, some market wiggle room and kind of reinvent a player a little bit in the, in the vein of like Newcastle move out, moving Joel into back. You don't do that when you're Manchester United and pretty much have the way the wages to, or are able to pay the wages for some of the best players in the world. You shouldn't be like, yeah, we need to play him as a striker because we can't score goals anymore. Like, yeah. I, I agree. And that, that's why I think the odds in this matchup are nuts, Brett. Yeah. Like, you have Bournemouth who drew with Villa. They beat Newcastle. They played pool tight as well. And they're going to give them 450 against a United team playing without a midfield with Casemiro out until the new year and playing McTominay basically as like their main goal scoring threat. So like, I'm not saying Bournemouth should be like, you know, minus 110 here, but plus 450 is way out of whack. I am more than happy to fade these uh, or bet on the Scott McTominay regression fade the rest of that team then put up zero to one and they could absolutely leak two, leak two or three goals to anyone at this point with the defensive shape that they're taking so i'm taking bournemouth plus 450 in this one not because i think that bournemouth will win but i think they will win more often than the odds are suggesting uh yeah and uh somehow on a plus 450 money line we wound up in the same place uh because there is something going on at bournemouth as well uh, I have repeatedly brought up that my biggest concern that was compounded by the Tyler Adams absence was they were just so leaky defensively. Um, and somehow, some way, the highest amount of expected goals conceded in their last four matches was, I believe, the 1.1 just to Palace. What was that yesterday? Um, yeah. or on Thursday. Um, and before that, they had three straight matches not allowing uh, a, a, even one expected goals worth of chances. So I don't know what's going on here. I think it's a, a shift. I know Philip Billingness has actually been kind of moved out of the lineup. So I don't know if this is some tactics taking hold here. If there's been they they just kind of precisely found the right type of player combination. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend that I've watched 
the last 360 minutes of Bournemouth to tactically break <laughs> it down. Um, but I, but there's clear that there's something going on here as well. This is the four matches is long enough to say to kind of perk your your eyes up and say, okay, there's something to this. Um, I don't think it's just a weird fluky middle of the season run. So the plus 450 number with that in mind as well, it makes this really interesting because I, I'm going to pair it with my prop bet of both the score. No, at plus 125, because Bournemouth is not an attacking powerhouse. Dominic Slonky has actually been pretty good this season, um, but the, he is about all they have as far as consistent chance creation. Um, so they are always a good bet <laughs> to get a, a, a nil right before their scoreline. And I think with this improved defense and the fact that Scott McTominay is on a heater that is eventually going to regress, United's very capable of, of doing that. I mean, they struggled to break down Burnley, you know, just to, I think like six weeks ago. So this is this is a game that definitely is zero and, and one of these teams scoreline is a great possibility or both. This is this is very rare. We are on the exact opposite side of our prop bet. I am going both teams to score. Yes, at minus 160, because with all the rationale that you just gave out, you still just back the bet for a United team that is playing zero midfield whatsoever and then has McGuire protecting Onana as the only way to keep a clean sheet here. So I like Bournemouth to score no matter who their personnel is like Chelsea. Chelsea didn't need a billion dollars worth of players to walk through that midfield and have chance after chance. The problem Chelsea had was they could not in a, any world possible actually link a final pass together and get a shot on net. I don't know how XG tracks that, like failing to make the clear pass that should lead to a tap in rather than, you know, the actual shot ever being generated and therefore not knowing what the XG is going to be. But it was a joke how often they had a rush down there and couldn't generate something on Onana. And I just, I think that anybody, anybody in the league, the way uh, United is taking shape can get a goal off of them. And Bournemouth, I mean, like I know you just said that they might be tightened up a little bit. They still link six to city four to Arsenal, three to freaking Everton. So they are not afraid to give up a goal either. So between these two squads, I think both of them are going to score, not because of their own strengths, but because of the other side's weaknesses. So, so to backtrack to the beginning of that, the number that you'd be looking for, and I think Mark Statsbot uh, Twitter account always puts these up after matches, is expected threat. That is the the, the passes and the and the balls that are played in areas that don't result in the shot. I can I haven't looked at at the Chelsea one, but that would be the number that you what you would look for for something like that. If anybody's curious about that. Um, what a, is there like a maximum score? Because whatever it is, Mudrick is the expected threat to me having a heart attack. It is at the highest level of that scale. Yeah, I mean, he might he might very well he might very well be. Um, but it's the, it's called it's you have your Ukrainian version of Ross Barkley who would get into dangerous areas all the time, and then the ball would just end up somehow being non-threatening within about two seconds of oh, being there. Man, um, how do you say Ross the boss in Ukrainian? Yeah, we gotta fi- we gotta figure we gotta figure that one out. Um, yeah, so I mean I, that, that's the expected uh, threat number that that we were talking about here, and I, I mean I guess the the way that I look at it too is I've I've been burned, Toby, in the NFL of somehow figuring that these some some terrible quarterbacks can take advantage of terrible pass defenses. So when I've this year, my betting, I'm scarred because I've had the matchup of the the stoppable force and the movable object come together 
and I keep siding with the stoppable force to move against the movable object. And this is the same thing that you're talking about here with United's leaky defense is I still don't trust Bournemouth's attack to can, to be consistent enough to even take advantage of a, of a poor defensive line. So I, I am siding this time for, for once with the movable object, and I'm sure it's going to backfire. Did go all the way and just take Bournemouth 1-0 on the exact score line. You'll probably get like plus 1,500 for it. Just go with that. <laughs> I, I I should just quickly put that in my five pints since I had a horrible first stretch here. <laughs> all right. Well, let's do something the Premier League is not doing right now and take a breather, give a little love to our sponsors, and come right back with the rest of our slate. You know, when the conversation turns stampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up. Omaha full. The word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles see caesars.com slash promos for full terms void where prohibited know when to stop before you start gambling problem arizona call 1-800 next step colorado wyoming kansas affiliated with kansas crossing casino call 1-800-522-4700 indiana call 1-800-9 with it iowa call 1-800 bets off louisiana call 1-877-770 stop licensed through horseshoe bossier city and harris new orleans massachusetts call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117 Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia If you or someone you know has a gambling problem crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia 1-800-GAMBLER.net New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. 
your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Okay, we are back and it is time to get back to Ross the Boss. I've missed him. I haven't talked about him in about 90 seconds and that is far too long. Lutentown, 17th and nine points versus Manchester City, 4th and 30 points. This game is Sunday at 9 a.m. City is minus 650. Caesars has Luton at plus 1600. The draw is plus 650. City minus two and a half is plus 115. Luton plus two and a half goals is minus 145. Uh, all right, Brett. So I, we, we started talking about it a little bit. I pulled it back to Aston Villa, but let's pour it on right now. So you think that the absence of Rodri is the reason they're able only able to put up two shots against Aston Villa. And I know he has some power of linking it, but are we overstating it a little bit? How much that he generates that attack? It seems like even without Rodri, even with stones in there, they should have a lot more than two shots given the incredible offensive personnel they have on that side of the ball and obviously they missed a Bruno obviously they missed Rodri but is it that simple or is there something else going on that only generated that little attack in that match against Villa midweek uh I mean I think you're you're it's it's underestimating the value of guys that can progress the ball in the final third and how City have basically axed most of those in the last few years I mean Cancelo one of the the gifts of of Jao Cancelo, we loved some of his passes, these outside of the boot assists, you know, 30 yards away, or banana peel it in front of Holland's run or something. Um, but one of the things that he did really, really well was carry and pass the ball into the final third. So he, he was the guy that pinched it in the midfield and then inverted fullback role and kind of pushed the attack forward. And then the other three center backs would just be there to, you know, fulfill Pep's dream of never allowing a counterattack ever for the rest of his managerial career. Um, and I, I think the problem is Pep has went all in on this, you know, kind of uh, duplicative, like back line of all these guys that are, you know, okay passers and decent progressing the ball, but they're, they're not, you know, these, these line, they're not Ben White esque line breaking center backs. Like, you know, Nathan Ake and Fardial, like those guys can can move the ball forward, but they have to have pretty clear lanes. They're not they're not, you know, leading in what's a, what's called a packing stat, which is a pass that takes out a certain number of players. You know, that was that is what Rodri does. Is he switches the flanks. He moves the ball into a dangerous spot. You know, he helps recycle possession when it gets pinned on one side. And they don't have that guy. Like, John Stones isn't that guy. Like, Bernardo Silver is not that guy. Rico Lewis is not that guy. Yeah, I was and, confused why they weren't playing Kova over Rico Lewis to at least yeah. do some ball carrying through the midfield. Like, that didn't make any sense to me. God forbid that some, you know, idiot on the couch second-guessed Pep Guardiola, but I just didn't get it. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, and and there's a there's a, a lot of smart tactical people that have kind of pointed out that even with Rodri in, 
teams are playing too differential the city. And if you press them, you may cause problems because you would expose a little bit of this, the lack of passing that's in, along the back line now. And with Rodri out, that something like that gets magnified even more. So it's, you know, because I mean, Doku's amazing and Grealish, well, Grealish was suspended as well, but like, you know, Doku's great. You know, Bernardo Silva has a, a bunch of wonderful qualities. Foden does. Alvarez does. Because I mean, that's the other part too is, you know, Julian Alvarez, uh, you know, kind of playing in this, you know, two-man striker combo. Alvarez is is mostly an out-and-out striker. He's not an eight. So he's yeah. not a guy that you would associate with, like, the technical. Like, he's not Cesc Fabregas by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he's definitely not Gundogan. Um, and so you have, like, sort of this two-striker pairing with a bunch of center backs that are are good passers, but they're not exactly, like, great progressive passers. I think they rack up pretty good progressive numbers, mostly because City has the ball all the time. So they have the opportunity to like make progressive passes way more than anybody else. Um, but when you kind of take those two things in combination, playing almost an additional striker up front instead of a traditional passing midfielder, and then playing more of like a, like a traditional center back full of back lines, because that's never been Kyle Walker's thing. I mean, gosh, you've been, we and I have been watching Kyle Walker forever Kyle Walker's thing has always been being a blazing fullback that gets up and down the line never was he a Cancelo type you know like extra defensive midfielder and then also when you're playing a guy like John Stones like again Stones's value moving in the midfield was more his defensive solidity not because he was a great passer that could just really like ping balls the way Rodri does so there there's a there is a clear gap that I think gets really exposed when you see that, and I, I'm curious to see how City is going to address this. You know, I think if KDB was here, like I, I can't remember which year it was. Maybe you can help me with this. But there was that year where I think uh, Fernandinho was out, and they moved KDB to play almost like a six, and he would just like kind of pick up the ball off the center backs and spray it forward. I think this would be less pronounced if KDB was here because he would be a guy that could then drop and then play the ball to the dangerous players in the attacking third. But the, the, the absence of both him and Rodri, those are like the only two guys that if you're going to use like player descriptors, you would label as like elite passers in the city side. Other than that, it's ball carriers and goal scorers and defenders. And that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot. Um, And it gave me time to, to, to second guess what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> in a game between Manchester City and Luton Town in the year of our Lord 2023, I am making a Luton Town bet. <laughs> uh, I am actually taking the two and a half at the minus 145. City has gone a little while before they've shown that real bully side of them. And yes, you are absolutely playing with fire anytime that you bet against City and finally you know breaking out because they're going to go from like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, we we had a slump for three or four games. We're going to hang a nine spot on somebody. Uh, but because of a lot of what you're talking about and uh, because Kenilworth is such a a, a B word to play at with the guys right on top of them. There's only 11,000 of them and they're losing their minds. Like they were losing their minds against Arsenal. This is might be a once in a lifetime opportunity for the fans at Luton to ever like see their boys play against Arsenal or city at home. If they go back down, who knows if they'll be back up and they've been waiting 30, 40 years from this and they are freaking out. And so I think between the environment, between the, the little bit of the mini slump um, and between like the big number here at two and a half, and of course, the presence of Ross the boss. I mean, I can't ever say anything uh, thank about him. you. Thank you for um, Everton legends, Toby. 
I just have to do it. And I feel gross about it. I, I think that I this could build up in my face spectacularly. But the other side actually feels a little bit grosser to me for this particular game, uh, this particular weekend. But yeah, certainly, you know, two months from now, this might look like the dumbest pick I ever made. Well, I uh, will be right alongside you making the dumbest pick you've ever made because I also am taking Luton Town at plus two and a half at minus 145. And that is with Rodri back from suspension. Um, but this is kind of, uh, you know, to, to you know, pimp the show here. This is a, a total heater bet for Trendy for me. I think that if you, if we track this, uh, the teams that have no European responsibilities maybe even in the ones that have been, you know, knocked out of cup competitions for a little bit while or for a little while longer. I think these teams are going to cover a bunch of spreads unexpectedly mm. this December. And so with that in mind, with the fact that Luton Town hasn't really been stomped by anybody, at least by underlying numbers, they haven't. Renford drilled them pretty good with about over three goals expected. I think uh, Luton Town was about about a half a goal in the chances created. That was the biggest butt kicking they've taken this year. But other than that, like even the Liverpool match where they got lucky and got a result and, you know, the Chelsea match and some other ones, they, they have not gotten completely stomped too many times this year. And two and a half goals is a lot of goals <laughs> to cover. I mean, it's it's one Ederson mistake. It's a half of football where Luton Town plays out of their mind. It's a keeper just saving everything. Tim Howard, you know, against Belgian uh, Belgium style. So, like, I I think between those combinations, it was really hard for me to move off that number. And if they can't get up to uh, for the Villa match when you know they're falling down the table and they can't get fully up for a Chelsea match or you know uh, Arsenal a couple of weeks ago like are is this why no teams ever, ever won four in a row like it's just hard to be on for year after year after year and if they can't even like really like get their nerve endings fried for the biggest matches are they really going to go for the jugular against a team like Luton and I think this is part of what we're seeing uh, they did drill Bournemouth 6-1 but other than that when they play these minnows they have not been destroying them like they have in years past it's a lot of like 2-0 3-1s the late Ederson consolation goal that I love things like that so uh, it's a little bit scary, but it is what I'm backing. I do obviously think they're going to win, though. I'm not crazy enough to take Luton on the money line or anything like that. So to find value, I hunted an SGP, Brett. Uh, and so I combined three things. I'm going with Holland to score because it's almost incomprehensible to me that he's going to be off the score sheet three weeks in a row. Over two and a half goals. And that gets there either with City scoring three or Ederson giving up one. Um, and I think both of those are, you know, definitely fair bets. And then this is the leg that I, I think is most important. City score first. So if you put those three together, you can get to minus 105. And if if Pep is going to like be on their case, and if these guys actually do care about winning the title and not falling too far behind, I don't expect them to come out passively. I don't expect them to come out and just say, all right, we're going to let Luton take it to us for 30 minutes. I think it's going to be the opposite. They do have the chance to give up um, – a rush the other way on a counter. But I do think we're going to see a very aggressive city team trying to reestablish itself in the first 30 minutes. And I think it will result in a goal. So you put the three together, you get minus one of five. Well, Toby, I'm going to need your help on this one. Um, could you please scream out your favorite bet to ever make on this show? Cause I'm making it for you this week. It starts oh, with I a C. 
You're stealing my thunder. I'm going to scream later because it's coming, Brett. Oh, you already not, have one. Okay, all right. I don't want to see one coming that. tonight. Unfortunately, we're doing this game first, so I got to get this out. But I am doing a corner bet. I am yeah. doing a Toby Mergler special. I'm doing a corner bet. City over six and a half corners and minus 150. Uh, this just seems like a, a match where the corner numbers are going to play up. Arsenal actually, shockingly, Arsenal like by far and away leads the league in, in corners generated. Um, cities up there, they're, they're typically leading most years. Um, they're a little bit down this year, but I just kind of feel like given the atmosphere, given the way that Luton town plays, you know, they, they usually play like a back three with some wing backs and they'll flood the midfield a little bit. This is to me going to be one of those side to side. They're going to hit it off some players and we're going to have Julian Alvarez sitting at the corner flag seven, eight, nine times by the time this match wraps up. Um, so I think this is a, this is a perfect match for this i think if luton town was away i'd be a little more nervous about this number but then being at home and having that little bit extra push to defend to clear balls off the line you're going to pick up the extra corners or two to give this one value even though minus 150 is not a great number um it's but six and a half is pretty low i mean you're talking about basically three corners and one half four and another when city's going to have 80 percent of the ball this match yeah. All right. Well, I will never be mad at a corner bet. And as I said, I'm preparing my pipes to scream a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> let us head to a match that I will probably be screaming at, not in a good way. And that is Everton, 18th at seven points versus Chelsea, 10th and 19 points. This game is Sunday at 9 a.m. And that's seven points. I just have to pause for a second. But for the point reduction, they would be at 17 points and only two points behind Chelsea. So that gap is, is somewhat artificial. Uh, not somewhat, directly artificial. Chelsea is plus 115. Everton is plus 220. The draw is plus 260. Chelsea minus half a goal is plus 105. And Everton is minus 135. And I am happy we aren't playing Everton for once at uh, at Goodison with their backs against the wall. It seems like every single year we're like playing them with relegation on the line. And somehow we keep drawing the away match. I know it probably isn't true. It's just certainly how I feel. Uh, but we are getting them in December. We're getting them on a hot streak, Brett. They have taken 13 points in their last six games. And I dare say they look pretty decent doing it. So I know you're on your way to becoming a Brighton fan. But is Everton doing anything that is turning your head a little bit, that's making you kind of look back with uh, with regret at your, your old flame? Or do you think this is another mirage that we're seeing in front of us right now? So – I've always actually had a sort of weird respect for what Sean Dyche did at Burnley. Um, I mean, it was horrible to watch. I mean, it's the same sort of like begrudging respect I give Simeone and <laughs> Atletico, right? Uh, but I mean, that Burnley team like didn't spend money. I mean, they were picking up, you know, randos like Jay Rodriguez on free transfers. It was like their big signing every year. They're kind of hoping, you know, players like Dwight McNeil would get to be a league average winger, which I think he's actually maybe on his way to doing at Everton. Um, It's crazy that McNeil is like not even 25 yet. Uh, It feels like he's been around for forever. That's a whole other conversation. Um, But if there was ever a time to kind of reignite my Everton underdog roots that drew me to the club in the first place, um, this would be the, this would be the time to do it, right? Like they get slapped with the suspension and now they got to crawl out of a hole and they got this feisty manager with a track record of, keeping under uh finance teams afloat for a long time um i mean i i this is a ton of credit to sean dyche i mean i i still am not 
blown away by the talent on this roster. Um, I think some of the, the players have been a little bit better than expected. I mean, obviously having Dominic Calvert-Lewin playing at all versus never is a big thing for an Everton club that could use all the goal scoring that they could. Um, but I, I, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that like this this Everton club could get their if, go through this arbitration case, get their points back, and we might be sitting there being like, hey, uh, Everton's like in eighth place. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> this is that's not like that's not a thing that's like a zero percent chance of happening um, because as you point out, they are playing really well, and so. They're plus 200 on the money line. Uh, I'm going to let clear the floor for you after I say this. I have no idea what's going on in Chelsea right now. Uh, when yeah. the city match hit, you and I, I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, this is why you trust underlying numbers. Like this was this, these type of performances were bound to come around. And then in two out of three matches, they get absolutely drilled. Uh, and that's fairly concerning as a Chelsea fan, I'm sure but it makes the plus 200 for Everton look pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, after Brighton, I started feeling pretty decent again, but I felt sick to my stomach last night after watching that. They conceded 28 shots to United, which is outrageous. And over 4XG, obviously that's helped a little bit by the penalty, but 28 shots ain't helped by the penalty. It's just an, a crazy amount that they gave up in the midfield. And I cannot believe the reliance they have on Connor Gallagher. Like, we see when Casemiro is out of United, it's pretty clear. When you see um, Rodri out of City, it's pretty clear. Like, we've talked about that quite a bit. Guimaraes at Newcastle, like these, these highly dependent sixes. Uh, the other guys around Conor Gallagher are the two most expensive midfielders like in history. And when he's out of the lineup, I notice it a lot more than when those guys are absent. And like it's there's no excuse for having a 200 plus million dollar pivot that gives up 28 shots. Like, I don't want to hear any other excuse. Enzo and Casado were both very poor in that match. The positioning of that entire team is shocking. Uh, Levi Colwell being named captain, I thought was super weird. And then he follows that up with, you know, kind of flopping against McTominay and then complaining about it later to the press. Like, I just, I don't know where the mentality of this team is. I don't know what's going on with the positioning. I don't know if that is players or tactics. It's hard to tell um, the stink from, you know, where it's coming from when everything is rotten. And I only have one kind of hope which is they just went through this massive gauntlet. Like they just played almost every one of the other big six clubs, like top 10 clubs, however you want to uh, gauge it. And now they're getting into a stretch of their schedule. That's actually going to determine their season. A lot of people like look at that gauntlet, like, well, however this goes is how the team goes. Like, no, they have to take three against Everton. They have to take three against Sheffield. They have to take three points from this. And from now until the end of December, they need to take almost maximum points or it's going to get ugly and Poach is going to come under fire yet again, whether fair or unfair, it's just the natural rhythm of this club. Um, I, for one, do think they have the ability to turn it around, and I don't know where the leadership's going to come from. I don't know when the mentality is going to come from, and that's what scares me more. Like Reese James is as the leader of this team taking that red card and then having to sit on the bench against Manchester United to open it up and not even being in the starting lineup. And then when he comes in, he didn't even assert himself as he normally does. This team needs to, I don't know, like buy Ted Lasso's shrink rather than trying to buy any more players. They've got to get this together. But, Brett, I will say after all of that, I can't get there with you on Everton. Like, I know they're they're playing pretty well lately. Um, 
but I think that the talent gap between them and Chelsea is pretty massive. I don't think that the fan level is going to be what I've seen them generate in the last couple of years. And I do think Chelsea, uh, because of this kind of Jekyll and Hyde we're seeing, it's time for the good version of them to show up. And I don't think the odds are wide enough. Like if, if Everton was like plus 280 or plus 300 and somewhere in that range, I could get there. But at only plus 220, um, I couldn't get all the way to them. I'm going to back my boys in blue one more time at plus 115. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I I I can't trust you Chelsea boys at this point, Toby. That's the only reason why. Um, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at who I trust more somehow, I feel more trustworthy in Sean Dyche's hands. Weird thing to say. Um, that, but the, the one thing. Lunacy. <laughs> but the one thing I, I I will go with is I am going to back your, your Chelsea boys to definitely be putting up a fight here. This is not going to be a one nil Everton win uh, where they go out with a wimp, whimper. The over of 2.5 goals is minus 130. And yep. with the way Chelsea's defending and with the fact that Everton, despite, you know, having someone like Dyche who gets his rep as this like strict conservative you know, uh, defense first manager, they've been more aggressive and more attacking this year than I think people realize. Um, and so that over two and a half goals two one is like, was the scoreline that popped into my head one way or the other for this team to be the most common scoreline. Um, so I think that, that getting, you're eating a little bit of juice minus minus one thirty. It's not great, but I feel pretty good in general about that, that overhitting. Yeah, I've got the same one. That's my prop bet as well. I mean, I think that um, you you asked if Silva was washed last week. I, he needs to rest. Like, they need to rotate him out. I was shocked he was in the lineup against United. They need to play Desai or Silva, not Desai and Silva. It didn't make any sense to me whatsoever those guys continue to be in the lineup when Reese James was available. Like, rotate Silva out, play Desai, and if you really want to play Colwell, play him, or play Batashiel after those pair played together for years uh, at their previous club. And so I... I don't know. I don't, I don't want to turn this into me second guessing another world class manager after I already did it to Pep. But the amount of space that they're giving up, the position on crossing is really horrible. Sanchez continues to make mistakes. He wasn't punished for them in the last game. It is distribution at least twice and maybe three times, put them under pressure immediately. And uh, I just, I don't believe they can put up a clean sheet, which is the identity of the Chelsea team that I've known and loved for so long. And it's just gone right now, back to the mentality. And then on the other side, like they are generating the chances. We are, you know, joked about their XG and the regression of the mean and all of that. And their inability to pick that final pass is nuts. The other reason though, I still am not giving up hope is they do have Nkuku coming. And once Nkuku comes in there and he's playing that 10 in the middle, I trust him a lot more to both do like, take advantage of the great opportunities when he's the one rifling at the net and to make the right pass. It also might allow him and Palmer to interchange a little bit more and for Palmer to slide in that middle because having Mudrick and Jackson lead that line right now, just, just delete it from my brain, like flashy thinking me from men in black. I I don't want to see that ever again. (laughs) Oh, a flashy thing reference from men in black. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's uh it's a battle between our two broken clubs, buddy. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see which dumpster fire comes out on top. Yep. All right. Well, put that on a promo. Go ahead, slap that on NBC. Yeah. Let's do it. There's our breakout right there. Yep. 
Uh, all right, so that just leaves one match, and it is probably the best match. Although Arsenal Aston Villa is probably the best match, but this is a match between big clubs. Tottenham fifth at twenty-seven points versus Newcastle seventh at twenty-six points. Sunday at eleven thirty a.m. Spurs are plus one fifteen. Newcastle's plus two ten. The draw is plus two seventy. Spurs minus half a goal is plus one ten. And Caesar says Newcastle on the double chance at minus one forty. So. So Spurs fight back for that draw versus City, which I thought was highly improbable and cost me more than a little uh, bit of money. If you heard me on last week's show, I was going heavy on City in that in that Spurs matchup. So I still can't believe that draw. And then, of course, they Spurs it up immediately by collapsing against West Ham about an hour and a half ago. And then on the other side of this match, Newcastle loses 3-0 to Everton and concede 3.23 XG along the way, which was shocking. So I I kind of feel like this is Spider-Man pointing at each other, like two broken big six clubs that just can't <laughs> can't fulfill their potential and are both like destined to collapse at any given moment. They're so rickety and somehow they're going to play each other in this match. So how did you sort between these two teams, Brett? So here's my analysis, Toby. Uh, Spurs might be broken and regressing. Uh, Newcastle might be broken and regressing. Uh, and the Newcastle money line was higher. Yep. And that's oh what I gosh. did. Plus 220. That was it. That was that. You want an analysis for this? That was my, that was literally my analysis. I was like, they have a higher money line. And I feel like both teams, both teams are equally broken. So, yeah. 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 I, I'm definitely fading Spurs. I, their home field advantage does not matter at all to me. I, I said it at the opening. Like, their fans were leaving against West Ham when they're down 2 1. And, like, if you're a Spurs fan, the last thing you should leave is, a, is in a one goal game. They have shown their ability to score at extra time. Like, you know, you can you can hold them accountable for a lot of things and, and want to turn your back on them. And that ain't one of them. They at least continue to put up some sort of fight, even if the fight is horrible tactics and horrible high lines and things like that. But I'm, I'm with you. I am taking Newcastle because it's plus 210. And, and like, I, I was so shocked by the spread here that it actually affected my Everton Chelsea pick. Like in what world should Newcastle be plus 210 versus Spurs? And that'd be the exact same gap. They're handicapping that Everton and Chelsea match. It just doesn't make any sense to me. The Everton lines, uh, the Newcastle line seems way, way, way too high here. But since we agree, especially like, by the way, like they just beat United. They drew PSG. They crushed Chelsea. Like I like more of what I've seen in Newcastle and their broken times than what I've seen in the Spurs times, whatever that's worth. But anyway, since we agree so violently, one quick thing to close out the Premier League before we do our study abroad section, Brett. And I guess we still owe our, our prop bet. But like this is like a I I did not research this whatsoever. This is pure like guy on the couch, didn't look at a single number. What happened to defense in the Premier League? Like, is anybody interested in playing defense anymore? Like, why are we seeing these crazy wide open matches with these crazy tactics? Is it like the NBA where everybody suddenly started shooting threes at the same time and like, oh, three's worth more than two. And it went from like a pretty varied league with different identities to like, okay, now everybody's just posting in the corner. And that happened in like an 18 month period. Are we, are we seeing the seeds of that in Premier League that the high line, the pressing, the trying to turn people over, the playing out of the back? 
and things like that are all kind of happening at the same point. Because I swear I'm seeing more open matches than ever before. And like, no, people don't want to grind out that 1-0 victory. They all want to play in these like two, three, four goal bangers that are fun to watch with a neutral, but are confusing to me as someone who has watched English soccer for a long time. And this is not the typical English identity. Uh, well, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, you know, look at where this was even 10 years ago at this league. I mean, Tony Poulos was still ha- has still had jobs, like was coaching on the probably like West Brom, I think around 2014, 2015. So, you know, you, you have, you definitely have this philosophical shift. And I think part of it is you're seeing more money coming to the league, which means you're going to get better players. You can also buy defenders. Well, yeah, you could. But, I mean, typically when you're going to spend money, I mean, what are the most expensive players? Are the guys that score the goals, right? Not necessarily the guys that prevent them. Every team every team is looking for that striker that's going to put them over the top or give them a 20-goal season or whatever. So I think you get some resource allocation stuff. And, I, I, I mean, honestly, to me, the game congestion and just the whirlwind of the last three years – what would be the first thing to go, right? Is the yeah. defensive organization, the yep. holes in your pressing and your set piece concentration. Yep. Right. And I think that's another area too, is you have teams like Arsenal, you have teams like Brentford, you know, um, that are putting resources finally into scoring offset pieces, which anybody smart that take Knutson's at stats bombs of the world have been saying for years was a market inefficiency And you're finally starting to see teams that are like, you know, running corner plays or, you know, targeting or throwing and doing long throws with targeted plans. Right. Um, So, I mean, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal's run to, you know, second place to push city for the title last year was partially fueled by the fact that they were great on set pieces. They were, they were chipping up and picking up these extra goals. And then, you know, like the other part of it, as you said, is, Pressing is is seen as a good thing. We're seeing less and less Roy Hodgson era teams that are just going to sit back in a defensive shell anymore. But again, when you're dealing with a bunch of injuries, when your teams are tired <laughs> and you go to press, I mean, you remember what it's like? We, we, both, we both were basketball guys in some form or fashion. You played it. I coached it. Um what happened when presses get broken in basketball, man? The other team was yeah. going to lay up on the other end. And that, I yeah, think that's the same it, thing now, right? It happened a lot more in the third game of uh, Saturday U tournament that it did. Yeah. <laughs> so I think your fixture congestion uh, is a great point. I, I hadn't factored that in, but I, I'm just. I'm convinced I'm seeing it like a, a world in which Chelsea is giving up 28 shots and just like allowing like absolute uh, bump rushes to the far post on a pretty normal cross and there's just three united guys that are somewhat unmarked because the positioning is so poor and like giant holes in the midfield on both sides united and chelsea like a team like a city that i think i said in the the preview that we did that if they only allowed 15 to 20 goals all year i i wouldn't be surprised at all and they're playing four four games against chelsea and like giving up you know three to tottenham and things like that and so like defensive organization i know it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but Italy's been doing it forever and winning World Cups and winning Champions League. It's been happening in England. Chelsea's been very successful with it. City. I don't know if Italy might be the one that you want to bring year. up at this point because Italy, Italy's had a little bit of a rough row in the national team scene. No, I but know maybe recently, the Euro, but maybe the Euros. 
I, I know, but you're kind of proving my point, right? Like, are we actually saying that like this tactic is a dinosaur tactic and offense is going to be defense more than defense is going to be an offense in the modern game? So maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe I should research a little bit more. And well, well here's, the, here's the other thing that you made me just think of is look at the fullback position. I mean, this is your favorite thing about Trent Alexander-Arnold, but he is not the only one. Yeah. When I started watching Everton, Tony Hibber was the right back. And all Tony Hibber did was tackle people and follow people. And that was it. You know, nowadays, pretty pretty much, even some of the really good teams, like you mentioned Luca Dini when you were doing your Villa preview, you know, Luca Dini would be like a winger in 2013, right? Yeah. And now he's an attacking left back and, and he plays for a mid-table Premier League team. He doesn't even play. He's not like Ashley Cole playing for Chelsea, you know, around that time period where, where those bigger teams could afford to have maybe a more attacking, expansive fullback. Like that's kind of the norm now. Like even Bournemouth is, you're getting a guy like Max Ahrens, who Barcelona was sniffing around two years ago when Norwich was, when he was up with Norwich. So like you're getting the weaponization of like traditionally defensive roles and even Liverpool's midfield is another example of that. McAllister's playing the six, and he's not the only, that's not the only midfield in the Premier League that's been kind of trotting out more aggressive midfields instead of like just two holy midfielders and a classic number 10 who's kind of a passer. So I think you're seeing a lot of shifting things that are kind of culminating in, into this explosion. Well, I'm looking forward to somebody going full Timberwolves and just be like going <laughs> zigging when everybody else is zagging and trying to grind out one zero wins again. I, I look forward to seeing who that team's going to be. I mean, uh, Sam Allardyce to- is still looking for a job, buddy. <laughs> He's going to keep looking. Uh, so I need to pay off this game before we do study abroad. Uh, I, I told you that there was one coming. It certainly ain't the study abroad match because I don't watch Girona enough to know if they uh, put a lot of balls over the touchline. But I do watch this. And so you are damn right. We are getting to a corner bang. There we go. Corner bang. I haven't given one out in about a month. I still have an outstanding record on it, and I feel excellent about this. In fact, I almost put two units on it, Brett. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to play the over 10.5 at minus 120. These last five Spurs games, taking out the Chelsea game, which was so janky since they were down to nine men, 12 corners, 18 corners, 12 corners, 14 corners, 13 corners. If they want to play this high line with bum rushes on both sides, of course balls are going over the line, and it hasn't even been close. And the one I like, um, you know, I'm going to play that one, the over 10 and a half at minus 120, because it feels, you know, you don't want to give out locks of the year because I don't want to be that guy, but it is something that I feel really good about. If you want to like really go after it though, the better bets uh, in terms of odds, the look at the race to five market, the race to, I'm sorry, the race to market, the race to five for Newcastle is plus 150. The race to seven is plus 320. The race to nine is plus 800, Brett. And I don't think the Spurs are ever going to get there. So you're getting plus 800 that Newcastle will. And that sounds like a lot of corners and it is a lot of corners uh, in a lot of context until you realize that they just gave up, Spurs just gave up 11 to Crystal Palace and the freaking Wolves generated 11 corners again. Them. So you're telling me an Alexander Ezek led front line can't do a similar things when Wolves are putting 11 over to the corner flag. So I love that plus 800 number quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm looking for 
for things to go skyrocketing up when you're talking about race to certain numbers, I need race to lots of goals because I'm taking just the over of three and a half goals at plus one thirty. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping that your corner bet plays into some set piece goals as well because I'm going to need them. Uh, but I mean, you know, you look at this matchup. Can you see this in any way, shape, or form where both of these teams end with like a one or a zero in their scoreline? I I can't. So well, I, I can tell you, I don't see any game where the combined XG is under four. Yeah. Uh, so it would just have to be poor finishing would be the only way that I would see it happening. Yeah. And I think penalties might play a huge factor in this. Um, you know, I, I just that I mean, the, this one, this is one of the ones where I just look at it and I'm like, what am I missing? Because this seems like the type of match you're going to have a hyper aggressive pressing team against a better club that actually sort of likes to sit back and exploit that open space. They've both been ripped apart recently. I mean, PSG, they may, Newcastle may have drawn them, but PSG created like four goals worth of chances against yeah, them. So, true. I mean, this is this is this seems prime for us to get like a 5-4 match out of this. I almost went up one, four and a half, but I... I don't. I'm not as brave as you. I mean, we, we, yeah. I mean, my my shirt that I wear in every episode is the coward's way out. I am not. I don't have Toby Murgler stones, so <laughs> I I could not get that far. But I would not be surprised if this is just an absolute bonkers five four five five six four six three type of match. Certainly, worst ways to spend your Sunday, everybody. So Absolutely. tune into that one because it is going to be entertaining. And some almost every Spurs game is going to be. I mean, Zach Wilson is back this. for the Jets, so there is going to be some competition maybe there. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, I think everybody on the Spurs and Newcastle are just as good with their hands as Zach Wilson is. <laughs> uh, all right, we still owe a quick study abroad, and it is an unexpected game, one that I never thought we would cover come August, but is compulsory for us to cover now. You will hear about it right after this break. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 
All right, we are back and we are heading to La Liga, Brent, where a hell of a story has been developing quietly uh, in the rest of the soccer world throughout the year. You've got Barcelona in this matchup, expected. They are third at 34 points, but they are taking on a team they are trailing on the table, and that is Girona who is second in La Liga right now at 38 points. This game is Sunday at 3 p.m. Barcelona is minus 200. Girona is plus 500. The draw is plus 340. Barcelona is minus 1.5, uh, is plus 130. And Girona on the double chance is minus 170. So I asked you about this match, and you had Girona takes ready to go, Brett. So I'm not going to step in and pretend I've been watching every one of their matches, but I've been watching enough. <laughs> To know that that 38 <laughs> points feels a little bit legit. They're second in the league in XG. They're uh, sixth in the league in goals conceded. They're, I think, first in the entire league in goals scored. And so they're certainly generating enough to be competitive and to sit very close to the top of the table. But from what you've seen from their games, what you've seen from their taxes, what you've seen from their rosters, is that possibly sustainable? Like, as I said earlier about Aston Villa, are we watching a Leicester scenario here? Or is this yet another, whatever the Spanish word is for mirage? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Girona, first off, is a, is a cool story. Um, and we got to maybe get Jen to come on and sing like a Weird Al version of my Girona here. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think this is so my theory on Girona, I'll explain a little bit of the club and then maybe I'll go into my theory and not be narcissistic here. Um, but Girona is interesting because this is just the second year since they've come back up. So last year, they came back up uh, from the second division and they finished 10th. And now this year, they're right in the thick of the title race. And this team is actually owned by Pep Guardiola's brother, uh, Pere. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's P-E-R-E. I'm assuming in Spanish, it's like Perry. Uh, but uh, Pep's brother has basically kind of like cobbled together this weird eclectic group. Um, you're, you're going to see, you know, you're going to see some players that's like, uh, it, like kind of one of those, oh, that, that guy's on this team type of thing. Uh, like daily Blinn plays center back for him. Yep. Um, Eric Garcia, who spent time at city and Barcelona is another one of their center backs. Uh, he's been I, I good mean, this year. He's been excellent. Yes. And, and I think that, uh, Alex Garcia, who's their best, probably their best player, definitely their best midfielder. Um, he's 26. I think he's going to be a guy that I wouldn't be surprised um, if something happens with this run ends up getting poached. I think he's I think he's a really good like technical midfielder. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's like kind of a player that you see move on. But I, I kind of think my theory about why Girona um, has risen to this so quickly is I think for a number of years, La Liga kind of got ruined by the Barcelona Madrid dominance. And then the fact that the only team that, that broke up that dominance was Atletico who played this really boring defensive grindy four, four, two with like a mid block press that had, you know, triggers near the, uh, the touchline. Um, but they won it by basically that when Atletico won, which is still an amazing feat that they did win. I mean, I don't want to ever go back and watch those matches, but you're talking about a team under-resourced beating teams with Messi and Ronaldo at the peak of their powers. It was a pretty incredible feat for Atletico to do that. And so I think what kind of happened when Atletico did that is none of the other clubs in, in Spain, especially because of the financial situation with the league itself, 
could ever go toe-to-toe financially or come even remotely close to poaching enough good attacking players to kind of play this progressive football and go against you know Madrid and Barcelona. So what you got was a lot of teams kind of just going and putting in these, building these teams that could compete like the way that Atletico did. These four four twos, these really basic teams with a lot of gritty defensive players or defensive midfielders, and Girona is this team that comes up, and they are they are like the the Anjpastakaglu of teams, <laughs> in that they are they just they throw caution to the wind. There is no there is no conservative blocks. There is no you know triggered pressing. Like this team is coming at you. Like they don't they don't have an elite goal scorer. Um, Artem Dovbeck, who's a Ukrainian striker, uh, has the most goals from this season with seven. Uh, their second highest goal scorer is 37 years old, and he has five. Um, so this is not like a super high-flying, young, attacking team, but their style is that way. It's just more open. It's more progressive. It's less worried about this idea of like, okay, we're going to play Barcelona Madrid. You know, we got to have you know our pressing triggers right. We're going to play really conservative because they're these big clubs and we can't go toe-to-toe with them like that. And Girona has kind of been like, F that. Like, we're going to play the same expansive football. I mean, maybe it's a Guardiola thing here. Um, but you know, they, they have a player like daily blend and Eric Garcia, you know, Garcia kind of got hammered and was a lightning rod at both city and Barcelona. I didn't think he was great at either of those spots, but you're also talking about a 22 year old with a ton of high level minutes under his belt. Daily blend has been everywhere. You know, he's played for United yeah. he played for Ajax. So you got this veteran guy good with the ball at his feet. That's playing for him as well. You know, you have Garcia is a really good technical midfielder. And then they, you know, they rotate some attackers There's a pretty balanced scoring outside of that. Um, but they're, they're kind of fun because they've broken up the monotony of how the, every other team has responded to Barcelona and Madrid. And I yeah. think that for that, they should be praised. I don't know if we'll be sitting here talking about them as a Champions League team. Their underlying numbers are, are good. Like they're not, it's not a total fluke. This isn't like Union Berlin last year in, in the Bundesliga. But I think they should be praised just for the fact that they, they came up in a league where everybody reacts to Barcelona and Madrid. And they were like, nope, we're playing this way. Well, you know what, Brett? I'm going to praise them in the most direct way possible, and that's with money because I am going to back them against Barcelona. Uh, and it's not just about Girona and these tactics and uh, they're playing. And, you know, I, I really like Savio. I think that guy is also going to get scooped up by somebody. I think he's going to be like one of those guys that started the year as like a $5 million player and exits as like a $50 million player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Barcelona, they just they just aren't blowing people out. So like the idea that they're on an adjusted line against a team that's already generated 38 points. It is second in the league uh, that is taking care of business. I mean, like granted the Girona did get beat three nil by Real. And so the other matchup against one of those heavyweights, you know, Real would have covered an adjusted line like this, but Barcelona isn't doing that. They don't have a multi-goal win on their resume since September 16th, at least in the league. And they only have two in the entire season. And so while Girona goes out and they hammer Minos like 5-2, 6-2, Barcelona squeaks by him by a goal. They also lack that killer instinct. And therefore, getting that goal and a half, I think, is is pretty solid value. And the other way that I'm playing this game, 
um, uh, just to get my prop out of the way as well. It's also on the Barca side in the trends that I'm following through them. They haven't played a four goal match in two months. So the fact that the over here is adjusted up is weird to me. I think this would be a classic two and a half, but Caesars took it up to three and a half. And if Caesars wants to take that up to three and a half, that's not what Barca's doing. They're playing a lot of one nil, one one. 2-1 type games, and they're not playing these games that are, you know, ending up at four goals or higher. So I'm also going to take the under on the 3.5 because that's what Caesars posted, as well as the adjusted on Girona as my two plays in this game. Yeah, well, we're we're already running over on our time, so I'm I'm going to skip just picking the spread. I'm going to go the, the I was going to pull Toby and give two prop bets here because I thought they were both really interesting. Um, but the first one was Bar- Barcelona to win. Both the score was plus 175. Uh, you talked about the fact that they weren't blowing teams out, but both teams should score in this match. I, I do firmly believe that. So plus 175 is a great number there. And then the one I actually liked as well, and, and it could still help with the Barcelona, and the Barcelona bet could still hit, is Girona was plus 200 to just win a single half, which with the really? way that we've talked about, they play. I love yeah. that one. Love yeah. it. Yeah. I, I do too. It will be in my five pine here. Um, but th- those bets could both hit too, which is great about them. Um, but I, I really like that one as well, because th- this definitely seems like something if Barcelona's up in the first half, Girona might just continue throwing attackers on until they, you know, win a half two one or something there, or they could come out off the front foot, get up. So I like that number two to one for them to win a single half. In three years, I've never let you skip picking a spread. That's not an option. So you don't even have to give a big reason. Just tell me, are you taking Girona or Barcelona? I'm taking draw. All right. There we go. Okay. With that quick pick and with that great analysis, it was probably the best analysis we've done on the show because saying less is even better than when it comes to the two of us talking. <laughs> Let us go ahead into the five pint. And my uh, mathematical verification for the slander I just laid against us is we were not good last week, Brett. We were not good mainly because the Spurs ended up drawing um, – drawing city and both of us had a ton of action on that game but you still came through on enter i still came through on city to score in both halves so you're up 2.4 to 1.8 i am going to make my comeback against you with the following five plays this is my five pint one pint apiece uh, let's open with my Manchester City same game parlay of Holland to score plus the over two and a half goals plus City to score first at minus 105. If I give it out, you know it's going to be in the five point, and that's Odegaard, one shot on target at minus 125. Similar, if I say the words cornerback, they are showing up in the five pints. Spurs Newcastle over 10.5 at minus 120. Absolutely give me one on that. Give me the Newcastle money line as well. So I am doubling up on that game. I'm taking Newcastle at the plus 210. And then I'm closing with the Chelsea over Everton over 2.5 minus 130. If Chelsea is going to abandon their defensive identity and play these wide open games, I might as well make some money on it to pay for all the alcohol it causes me to drink. Yeah, well, I'll make this quick here. Um, I am going with the Bournemouth United both to score no at plus 125. Uh, I have the Arsenal money line at plus 105. I'm still going to take the really good team at plus money there, uh, even though Villa's got Toby's backing. Uh, I am taking my own corner bet. I am taking that city bet of Love over it. six and a half corners and minus 150. And then I'm going two on our study abroad. I'm going to take both. Barcelona to win and both teams to score a plus 175 and Girona to win a single half at plus 200 because both of those bets can and hopefully do win so I can continue to live up to my reputation as a December king. 
Yeah, well, you're doing it down in Spain. I like it. It's a little different than previous December's, but it all it works anywhere that you can win money. Uh, all right, as Brett said, we went a little bit over. We got really excited about the Premier League, covered an extra game. Uh, I would say sorry about that, but if you're still listening, you're probably still happy. If you're not still listening, I don't need to apologize to you because you took matters into your own hands. Please listen to the rest of the network. I won't plug all those since we are short on time. I will just say that with all the fixture congestions, games are coming fast and furious, more storylines, more shock results, more things to discuss. So we will be back next week with another overly long episode, I am sure, full of our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the weekend.